Every day we take our lives into our own hands when we consume vitamins and supplements. By not knowing the right ones to take or when, we could be doing a disservice to our health, or even worse, could be endangering it. Welcome to your Daily Dose with Doreen Doucette. Now you have a resource to help you use supplements, vitamins, and natural health more safely and effectively. Here is your host, Doreen Doucette. Good morning and welcome to your Daily Dose. On several of my past shows, I've spoken of Juliette de Baricli-Levy, and I've mentioned only a few of her remedies and herb plants that she would most widely use and would never be without wherever she moved to. Juliette moved to many parts of the world during her life, and while in these areas, she would learn from the gypsies, peasants, and the nomads of the area what specific herbs and plants were used for healing purposes to both people and animals. Along with her love of herbs, she also had a strong love for the Afghan hound, and wherever she moved, her dogs went with her. Juliet bred Afghan hounds for many years, and her bloodline, pedigree name, was called Turkumen. Juliet was an English herbalist, an author noted for her pioneering work in holistic veterinarian medicine. She was known as the grandmother of herbs. Juliet was a self-proclaimed busy farmer, botanist, practicing herbalist, soil doctor, tree physician, wanderer in search of the sun, an anthologist of gypsy lore. Because of this, Tish Streeton's life would also change. Tish Streeton was born in Oxford, England, to a family of academics, and there was little in Tish Streeton's early quiet life that hinted at the calling she would find decades later, as an herbalist and a documentary filmmaker. It was the well-regarded book, The Illustrated Herbal Handbook, and its author, Juliette de Baricli-Levy, that changed Streeton's life. Tish was blessed to have had the opportunity to learn from Juliet, become a close friend, and care for Juliet during her later years in life, and Juliet became the subject of one of Tish Streeton's most popular documentaries, Juliet of the Herbs, which follows Juliet's colorful story of learning from people who live close to nature. Today, I'd like to welcome Tish Streeton to the show. Good morning, Tish. How are you? Hello, Doreen. I'm very well. Lovely to be here. Oh, good. Can I first ask you, Tish, how did you come to meet Juliet? Well, I first met her through her books. Um, I picked up a book, as you said, the Illustrated Herbal Handbook, and um, I read on the flyleaf that list of uh, descriptions that Juliet talked about herself the tree physician herbalist and when it came to wanderer in search of the sun I was uh, she'd got me because as you said I grew up in a family of academics in Oxford University and um, you know no one could call themselves you know you were either an economist or an anthropologist uh, you weren't a wanderer in search of the sun. Mm-hmm. So I loved that fact that I could become, that was something I could become because I too, growing up in England, rainy, dreary England, loved it whenever we went abroad and I went down to the Mediterranean and I loved the sunny climes too. 
So anyway, I picked up that book. I had just become a vegetarian, so uh, I was interested in wholesome foods and uh, herbalism. There weren't, of course, the number of books in those days. In fact, I think there were only two or three books uh, on herbs. So I picked up her book and learned uh, from her and met her through the book because uh, in the book under each uh, plant that she talks about, she doesn't just say, oh, this is good for this and that and that. She tells you a story about, oh, well, I learned about this uh, when I was living with the gypsies in Somerset. Or I learned about this when in a Bedouin tent and they would bring me salad of borage or something like that. And, you know, just little tidbits to entice me and make me really curious about her life. So um, I got her other books, The Herbal for the Dog, Farm and Stable. And I discovered she'd written other books, too, about her traveling years or when she'd lived in different countries. And um, so then, you know, I can't, can't remember if uh, I got tried to get in touch with her before I started making films or after. But anyway, I did find out that her daughter lived in Israel and I sent a letter there and it came back returned, undelivered. So, you know, every once in a while I'd try to find out if it, where Juliet was. I mean, for all I knew, I didn't even know if she was still alive or how old she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually uh, I, start, I did a film course and I started making films. And immediately the first film that I wanted to make was a film about Juliet. So then I really started searching for her. But still it took me another 10 years until... I found her, I met someone who knew someone who knew her. And uh, then I went to Greece uh, with a group of people because that's how it was on a tour. And and I met Juliet in Kithara uh, in Greece uh, and she was uh, nothing like I'd imagined. Well, she was in certain ways. I mean, her books are very opinionated and forceful and I imagined this huge, great woman kind of tall and big and strong she was very small I mean maybe five feet tall and there she was in her garden talking to the owls and the robins and uh and of course she does have that strength and opinionatedness too but it was Mm -hmm. just she was just this charming uh woman uh, in her garden in Greece and so that's when I met her and I put it to her about making a film And she was a bit reticent at first. Oh, no, I don't want to do any films. She didn't like the spotlight. I mean, she'd just been living alone on this island for many years. She hadn't been anywhere else. Um, And But then anyway, gradually she came round. She wanted to make the film for the gypsies. And uh, so we started uh, filming soon after that. Wow. So I was thinking that you had already met Juliet prior to wanting to do the documentary about her, but in actuality, you didn't even know her. So what was in her books that that made you want to, to do a documentary of her? What, what stemmed that? Well, uh, everything about her, like, as you said, her love for animals, her love of the plants, and particularly, of course, what resonated with me was her the living with the gypsies and the Bedouins and the peasants and living with people who are close to nature 
And obviously you could tell from her books that she had a very simple lifestyle and uh, was you know, learnt from nature. Mm -hmm. So I knew that a film uh, would take me to all of these people and all of these places. And I too wanted to learn from these people as well as from Juliet. So I'd say mostly that learning uh, from the indigenous peoples was what uh, got me about Juliet. And, and over the amount of time that you did film her and do the documentary, did you meet a lot of the Indigenous people as well? Did you learn a lot from them as well as from Juliet? Um, not so much. I mean, I did meet some of the gypsies and it was wonderful. We went to Spain and, I mean, there were amazing stories that happened when we were filming uh, I don't know. Have you read her book, Spanish Mountain Life? No, that one I have not read. Maureen? No. Oh, it's a lovely, it's one of the travel books about her time in Spain, in the Sierra Nevadas. And it tells about how she um, gave birth to her daughter, Luz, and uh, stories about seeing opium poppies and feeding them to the baby who was really ill and screaming. And then she couldn't breastfeed her, so she gave loose to a goat to be breastfed. Um, anyway, there's lots of stories in that book. I recommend it. Okay. And, but when we drove into the same village, uh, the, I stopped the car, and there we were traveling with her, two Afghan hounds, all of her possessions, because actually we were going through Spain. I was taking Juliet from her the island in Kithara, she was moving to the Azores in the middle of the Atlantic. So we drove through Spain. Anyway, we went into the village where um, she had lived when she gave birth to Luz. And I stopped the car to ask, oh, I can't even remember what, what I was asking for. But the person who we stopped asked and said, ah, oh, you're looking for Rosario. Oh, she's my cousin. She's just down here. And she looked in the car and said, Julieta. Oh. And uh, just amazing things like that. Everywhere we went, it just fell into place. So we were in Spain and I did meet Rosario and um, not Rosario, her can't remember now anyway we did um we i but i didn't have time we were filming and i was concentrating on filming i didn't really you know live there or stay mm -hmm. there for enough time to actually learn from the people i mean i have since in my own life lived with people and learned from them but uh not so much during the filming i'd say okay so since you've been able to spend a great deal of time with juliet what are some of the things that she taught you that really stand out most to you? Hmm. Yeah, that's a difficult question because throughout the years, I mean, I first came across her book when I was about 17 and I'm now 67. So I just feel that I've learned so much through osmosis or I don't even know what she taught me and what is me. Mm -hmm. But um, what she taught me, oh, I'd say a lot, really the essence. I mean, of course, she taught me specific herbs to use, but, but yes. I would read that in the book. Um, but that wasn't really. She taught me about the spirit of herbalism and about listening to the plants 
really listening to the plants and letting them teach you. I mean, I love the, what she says in the film. She says, oh, a garden is your teacher and your friend. Mm -hmm. And it was little things like that. And she taught these to me, not through telling me that, although she did say it, but just by seeing her, just by seeing her in her garden and taking care of the olive tree and talking to the olive tree, really, as if it was a friend. I mean, yes. it is a friend. Yes. And... Um, so I think she made me feel comfortable with that aspect of, of my desires too, that that, you know, that was okay mm -hmm. <laughs> to talk to plants and animals and listen to them. More importantly, listen to what they say, what they say about healing, uh, to try different things, but, and let the plant come to you and say what uh, she wants to be used for. Yes. And I, I did read in, in one of her books um, that she also encourages us to watch our animals and see what our animals are doing and what plants our animals are going to eat because they know what they need to make them better or to heal themselves. So, um, and, and that's what I do a lot. I watch what my dogs are doing. I watch what my horses are doing and what they're going to eat and, and thinking, why are they eating that if it's different from their normal? And trying to figure it out. Do you find that you do that or she encouraged you to do that as well? Yes, absolutely. And that's what I mean, learning from the animals. Exactly that. That's wonderful. What have you, have you noticed any specific things well, that your well, animals on horses? Oh, yes. Um, my horses, because we have, we have our area fenced off around the house. Um, and, and our horses are able to just wander freely around the house. So I have my wormwood and that was, that was <laughs> just outside of the, of the door. Um, normally I buy a, a uh, dewormer for my horses that I go to either the vet or to the, the feed store and I get the dewormer. So one afternoon I was watching, I actually thought that my husband had cut up my wormwood and I was thinking, well, why would he do that? It wasn't him at all. It was my horses that were coming up and they were eating the wormwood. So they don't just normally go and, and start eating the wormwood unless they would actually need it, right? It's a, it's a parasite cleanser. So obviously it was their time to be dewormed and I hadn't done it chemically for them. So they did it naturally, which I thought, wow, you know, it, it really goes to show how much our animals know in what their body needs. And it's, it's kind of sad that people don't have that. We don't have that, right? We don't go out and eat something because we feel we need it. We, we eat it because we either want it or it looks good or, you know, along those lines. But our animals eat something because their body specifically needs it. Yes, I, that's a lovely story. Actually, just recently someone told me that her goats had been eating the wormwood too. Yes. So, and, and we have, my daughter rescues horses and we have a paddock and there's a lot of the um, mugwort, the Artemisia yes. uh, vulgaris, which is in the same family. And the horses don't eat that at all. I was surprised. But as you said that, of course, if they don't need it, they're not going to go there. But if they feel they do. And yes, I love to watch the animals. And, you know, I've noticed the deer eating raspberry leaves in the spring when they're pregnant. Yes. And, um, oh, I was going to say something else. Uh, 
yes, and someone once came to me and said, oh, what is this plant? And it was Gallinsoga, which I didn't even know what it was. She said, my dog is eating this all the time. And I still don't know particularly what it is, but it is a pop herb. And, oh, I know I was going to say something about you. I think, no, of course, we have lost that. It's true, we've lost that ability as humans to just go out and take what we need. But um, I think I did learn that from Juliet, that we can do that too. We can be closer to nature. And, um, you know, I often say to people, just look around you, see what's growing or popping up in your garden or near you or what you notice. And that's often what, you will need. And if we can just be quiet for a time and listen uh, and take whatever that is, of course, you have to be careful. It's nothing poisonous and make sure you can really identify the plant. But um, I do find that. And I think we can become uh, a bit more like the animals in that sense and have a just go towards what we might need if we, you know, quieten ourselves and our lives. Absolutely. Live closer to nature. Now, everywhere that um, Juliet moved to, and she did move to 11, 11 different places, um, in, in her books, she stated that every place that she moved to, she made a garden. So she had 11 gardens. And in those 11 gardens, two of the plants that she made sure she always had was southern wood and rosemary. Why did she feel that these two herbs were so special that she needed them in all 11 of her gardens? Well, just before I tell you specifically about Southern Wood and Rosemary and what they meant to Juliet, I just want to say as well, it's not, it might be these two herbs. They are very special and they do do wonderful things. But I think, again, each person uh, has plants that they are particularly drawn to and attracted to Mm -hmm. and which work well both for them and their own healing. And also, if one is a healer, which seems to work when they give it to other people as a healer. And, um, I mean, I know I have specific herbs that I tend to work with a lot and I'm really drawn to. I mean, when I was young in my... 20s I it was always comfrey and elder of course um I don't know why I say of course except that elder is just such an amazing plant tree Mm -hmm. and um and then lately it has been tulsi and uh and rose have been plants that I've worked with so I don't know do don't you find that you have uh, particular herbs that you're drawn to or that that are your allies some, some, yes. And then I'll get back to southern wood. Yes, it's okay. One of the ones that I like to have in, in uh, both at my clinic and, and here at home is um, hibiscus. So for some reason, I'm drawn to hibiscus. Mm. And I do, in Ayurvedic treatments, we do use hibiscus. Um, now this year, because of my horses eating the wormwood, I really wanted to start new plants of wormwood. And you know, I have searched high and low and I was not able to get um, the actual wormwood that I had before. I was able to get the Artemisia brocade, Um, but every place is sold out. And I I do believe it's because of COVID and so many people are trying to grow herbs and they're trying to grow gardens and because they're home more, right? So this year I was out of luck, but that is another one that I really like to have around the property. Wormwood. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. 
Me, me too. Me too. In fact, I was. I haven't ever really grown southern wood, but I have always had worm wormwood comfrey and borage. Yes, I forgot those ones. Okay. But anyway, so I just when saying that you know these two rosemary and southern wood are special, wonderful plants, but. Uh, each person, it should also just see what they are drawn to and what works for them. Yes, yeah, she loved southern wood. Uh, she would always talk. It is an Artemisia, and yes. Artemis was the goddess of women and childbirth. And it is lovely for women in all stages of life, as well as particularly when giving birth. And because Juliet, of course, worked with animals all the time, whether it was her dogs and raising litters of puppies or goats, or sheep, or taking care of them, she would often, of course, be working with animals, uh, uh, pregnant animals, or giving birth. And so she would use southern wood a lot. And of course, southern wood, like wormwood, is an anti-parasitic. It's good for getting rid of worms and parasites. So yes. it's a, another use it has. And um, yeah, I would say that's one of her. And then rosemary. Uh, she would always, whenever she says rosemary, Ross Marinus, dew of the sea. And um, she used it. I know she told me lots of stories. Her son cut his leg to the bone, and all she did was put an a, a infusion of rosemary on, on the cut, and it healed it completely. Really? And I think she just used rosemary for almost everything, the same way I use Tulsi or something. And um, it's good for memory, uh, circulation to the brain, for the heart, for uh, so many different things that you can see why uh, rosemary as well as it smells so good and it has those beautiful blue flowers when it flowers. And so I think, I mean, there are many more qualities to both of these plants, but those mm -hmm. are some of the things that I think... She did yeah, say um, she did say in one of her books that she had cured many many skin issues um, just with rosemary alone. Hmm. Yeah. So interesting. I don't remember that, but I do use rosemary in, in skin tonics, and of course, uh, uh, yes. There's something Juliet often talked about: the Queen of Hungary water which yes. I don't know if that was what you're referring to when she talked about it, which is an ancient like perfume and skin that women used for beautifying their skin. And it is basically just a tincture of rosemary. Uh, you can add a few other herbs, whether you want lavender or calendula or, the, or other good skin herbs, but basically it's a, a tincture of rosemary. It could be made with a vinegar, or you could make it uh, with some witch hazel or add witch hazel or rose water. Oh, roses would be lovely to add to the skin tonic. Mm -hmm. But yes, yeah. And she said the gypsies were, would often go around and um, be selling the Queen of Hungary water. Yes, yes. And I did speak of that um, in one of my other podcasts. She wrote several ah, nice. books um, regarding the use of herbs for both people and animals. Do you know if she had one particular book that she was more fond of that she would refer it to most people? Well, I do know, I, do, I, I mentioned that Juliet wrote other books like the travel books, Summer yes. in Galilee, Spanish Mountain Life. 
She also, I don't know if you know or other people know, she uh, wrote two novels and she wrote poetry. But uh, one of her novels, Look the Wild Swans, uh, that was the book that she, I think of all the books she'd written, she loved the most. And um, it's difficult to find. It's not, it's not in print anymore, although there was a, there's a Spanish friend who raised Afghans too who typed it all up on the computer ready to be printed. Um, but she, I think she loved that book the most. I mean, it's a lovely romantic story. It actually uh, rails against, you know, Pasteur's germ theory of disease. And mm -hmm. you can see she wrote this book in 1947, and she was way, way ahead of her time. I mean, people still haven't quite caught on that, that the germ theory is not... <laughs> Not really what's important. When, when I looked up to see how many books that she has written, I didn't even see that one listed anywhere. Her oh, book really? Of, well, no. maybe it's because it's not in print. Okay, maybe not. But, I know um, that her book of poetry, I did see that that was available. But no, I didn't see, I didn't see that one. I don't remember that one at all. Oh, well, we'll try. We'll some, still try one day to get it back in print. I mean, someone might, you might be able to find it, um, you know, on, online on one of the secondhand book. Uh, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but I would say other, I mean, out of the herbals, oh dear, which would, well, of course, the herbal for the dog, because she always had dogs with her. Yes. And um, I'd say personally, the book that I have given away the most is the herbal for farm and stable, just because it is the only one, you know, years, now there are a few others, but for many, many years, I mean, so anyone I knew that had a farm or had any animals on, mm -hmm. I'd give them a copy of the herbal for farm and stable. Yeah. I have that one that I, I have, have looked through. It. The one that I have used the most is the herbals for the dog and the cat. I've used that one the yeah. most because of course, I, I'm a breeder as well. Um, and and I, I found out about Juliet's books because of my Afghan hound um, and, mm. and a lot of her ailments that she had. So I was, I was desperately searching for something that was going to make my Afghan hound better. Um, so that's how I came across Juliet's books. When you think... Oh, but were you already a, a naturopathic doctor and no, working in that? No, I was not. I was a nurse. Um, and at that time, it was because of my dog, it was because of that specific Afghan hound that took me from nursing into natural medicine. And that's how I continued on from there. So it's, it's all because of an Afghan. <laughs> so when, you think, when you think of all of the ailments that Juliet has successfully treated, now, with the amount of Lyme disease that we have that's affecting so many people and animals, and this might be coming back to when you see the deer eating the raspberry leaves in the springtime during pregnancy, what herbs do you think that Juliet would recommend the most for treating Lyme in both people and animals? Well, first of all, she would say, she would talk about prevention. Yes. She would say, make sure you are giving your dogs and cats and yourself a good, healthy diet. I mean, if it's dogs, uh, raw meat, uh, oats, and lots of herbs daily. Um, 
And of course, as you and I both know, that is the most important foundation. If you yes. can keep yourself and your animals really healthy, mm-hmm. you hopefully won't get Lyme. I so far live in a very uh, area abundant in Lyme disease. Most of the other people in my family and around me have had it. So mm. far, touch wood, I have not had exactly. Lyme. But um, but who knows? Well, there are always the times when you're stressed and you get something. I mean, you can't, mm-hmm. nothing is ever uh, infallible. But first of all, I did want to say that because that is so important to the yes, foundation of health. And she would say for animals, uh, good air, good water, clean air, yes. uh, exercise, the same sunlight, the same as what we'd say for ourselves. But um, I suppose in treating it, she'd probably do uh, what, what I do. And I probably got this, you know, the basic idea from her. You know, you look at each individual person or animal and see what it is. I mean, and you know, Lyme affects us in so many different ways. It's, yes, it you does. Know, can go towards the joints. You can have joint problems. You can have heart problems. You can have brain fog problems. You can mm-hmm. have nervous system problems. So I, I think she would look at what it was particularly and then think of the herbs uh, that were good for that. I mean, I found, you know, of course, turmeric, Solomon's seal, um, tulsi, rose, rosemary is lovely for joints. Actually, rosemary. I mean, I put that in my dog herbs, my daily dog herbs, of course, rosemary, because it does cover so much of the health issues. Um, and I know, I mean, I know people now use Japanese knotweed. Uh, yes. I haven't actually ever used that. Teasel I use, uh, which, which is nice for the joints too. Yes. Rosemary, of course, would be good if you have brain fog. Mm-hmm. Um, I find the animals from Lyme, it's mostly the joints. I mean, well, you don't, don't you? Yes, it is. Yeah, I find that it's mostly the joints. Um, it's it's very similar to a severe arthritis is, is what they get. Um, what mm-hmm. I have been using and the reason why I have been using this is, again, um, like the deer with the raspberry leaf in the springtime. If you have something that is, is becoming prominent in your area, there's usually an herb that is going to help with it, that is going to grow. Um, and it's going to grow exponentially in your area. And that with us right now, because we have a, an, an, an explosive amount of ticks in the area, Japanese knotweed has been growing around here. And so many people are saying, oh my goodness, we can't get rid of it. And it's just popping up everywhere. That's what I use. I've been using the Japanese knotweed uh, very effectively. I've been ad- adding the teasel with it. Um, mm-hmm. to the point that I've actually been treating my own dogs with it and using it as a prevention. Hmm. Nice. Yes, yes, I agree. And I would suggest that, yeah, people, as you said, look at what is growing around you as the lime, the ticks come into the area. Yes. Uh, yep. and, and use that. So that's... But that's I, I, Hmm? Now, I haven't used the rosemary for it, but I think I'm going to be checking into that um, as well because I'm sure that it's going to be very beneficial. 
Yes. I, I mean, I didn't actually think of it till now when we were talking. I mean, specifically for Lyme, but as mm -hmm. we were talking, maybe that's Juliet talking through us. And it yes, could be. Yes. It could be. How wonderful would that be? Is there any... Um, is there any simple skincare recipes that Juliet used to use that um, that you would be able to give to us to to tell our listeners this is something that's very simple to make? You can make it in your home, and it's very beneficial for our skin. Well, we actually it, uh, talked about that a bit when we talked about the Queen of Hungary water. We did, and um, we could. That is, you could just take a few sprigs of rosemary. Uh, Put it, cover it with either vodka or um, vinegar. Let it steep for six weeks or so in a cool, dark place. Cover it with uh, a plastic cover and then strain it and add some rose water or uh, witch hazel and then just use that as a kind of astringent spray. And of course, and you can add to that rosemary, as we mentioned, but you could add some lavender, calendula, roses, anything that you feel drawn to. I mean, those are some of the other plants that are nice for the skin. But also, and you can add that into your alcohol or vinegar tincture. But um, also what I remember every year when Juliet would stay with me, she, she'd usually come in June when the elderflower was blooming mm -hmm. and we'd always go off and pick the elderflowers and put them into a big bowl of water, a kind of shallow bowl of water and let them sit there and we'd dip our faces into this bowl uh, three or four or five, six times a day, just whenever we felt like it. And it was lovely. And there we'd both be going, walking around with a few little elderflowers <laughs> stuck to our faces. But of course, elderflower is a lovely skin uh, tonic and remedy. And um, if, you, if you don't have the fresh flowers, you can either do that with um, dried flowers, or again, you could make a little bit of a tincture uh, with the elderflowers and use that, add witch hazel and use that as a, a face spray. I actually this year made some elderflower oil to use oh. uh, to either make a salve or just put the oil on my skin. Okay. So what, what would some of the benefits be. be of the elderflower on the skin? What would it help? Oh, it itching. Um, I'm actually at the moment covered with poison ivy rash. I should oh. go and, and spray some. <laughs> spray, mate, I haven't. Yeah, I do have some elderflower vinegar. Um, but it would help. It just lightens, brightens the skin, clears blemishes, uh, and it just feels really lovely. Smells lovely when you do that dipping into the water. You could do that with roses too. But um, I specifically associate Juliet with the spring elderflowers. With the elder. So she, she was one who really liked the elderflowers. Yes. Yes. Yep. She did. With the passing and of Juliet. And for the face, for the skin. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. With, um, with the passing of Juliet in 2009, and she was at the age of 96 at that time, um, I did read that she still had some of the Turkmen Afghans that were still living. 
do you know um, where some of her dogs went or, or how, many, how many years did she have her dogs prior to her being 96? Oh, she had them all the time up until the last few years. The very last few years she was in Switzerland living with her daughter and, um, and then in a home and she didn't have them then. But up until then she had them. I think even when she left the U.S. for Switzerland, did she have taken Afghan? No, but she had, there were some in Switzerland. Uh, okay. I can't remember the name of the people that had the last lot of the Turkmen's. Tish, is there anything is there anything that you would like to leave with our listeners today that you think is going to help them, especially in this in this time of the of the COVID pandemic? Is there anything that we should be trying to do for ourselves to really keep ourselves healthy? Any specific herbs that we should be adding to to our diets? <clears throat> Well, I just think this is a time when we can all, we have the chance to plant a garden if we have the room, plant a few herbs in pots if we don't have the room and take care of them. And I mean, I keep seeing this time as an opportunity for us all to get closer to nature. People are taking walks and um, yes, grow. Rosemary, of course, would be a lovely plant to grow. Tulsi is another one that I suggest with nice all-round herbs. Um, And again, just go for what uh, you are drawn to. Go to a nice uh, 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 nursery where they sell plants and see what what Mm -hmm. appeals to you. Anything, I mean, any growing plant or look around you and just take notice of, as you said, And I say, and what, what Juliet would say, what is growing around you? And when you go for a walk, um, see, just observe and notice or even see your animals, what they're eating too. Um, <clears throat> yes, I don't know if there's specific, oh, for now, yes, of course, to protect from viruses, you want plants that are help strengthen the immune system, which would be elderflower, elderberry. Yes. Yes. Uh, rosemary. I think a lot of the plants we've talked about would be very useful. Yes, absolutely. Now, you are also working on a new documentary about your favorite plant, Tulsi. How is that coming along? Yes. <clears throat> well, we were supposed to be going to India this summer oh, <clears throat> to yeah. do some filming. Of course, that got uh, stopped. Um, and, but I have a, um, some lovely stories. I mean, Tulsi was a goddess, is a goddess. And in India, the Tulsi plant, as you know, is, is worshipped morning and night. Offerings of holy water and flowers to the goddess Tulsi. And, um, there's a lovely author, Chitra, uh, Divakaruni, has written some, uh, she's done a retelling of the of Sita's story and the Mahabharata, but she wrote some of the uh, stories about Tulsi the goddess, which tell us about uh, how, how important the plant is to us, how she came to be a plant, 
And so the actual film I'm making will be a kind of combination of documentary and, uh, well, a fiction narrative telling the mythological stories about Tulsi. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's come to a bit of a halt, but uh, it will get finished one day. I'm, I'm sure it will. I'm so sure it will. Tish, I'd like to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today about Juliet. Um, and I'll also be looking forward to seeing your new documentary about Tulsi, um, which is the Queen of Herbs. So please let me know when you have that finished and when it's ready to be seen, because I'm, I'm waiting for that. <laughs> okay, well, don't hold your breath, but I'll be in touch anyway, because I will <laughs> let you know about the Afghan hounds. I, I love the fact that you raised Afghans, and I want to hear more about that. And I want to put you in touch with the people, if there are any, who have her line. Oh, that would be so wonderful. So wonderful. Thank you, Tish, and you take care. (laughs) To all of our listeners today, I thank you for tuning in. I'll be back again next week, and I wish everyone to stay well and stay safe. Thank you for joining us for your daily dose. Be sure to tune in again next week on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for another edition with your host, Doreen Doucette. We'll see you then.